Yeah. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Common Sense Podcast. My name is Patrick, and I'm glad that you have decided to join me for another episode. We are telling eight queer coming-of-age stories, and we're not going to waste too much of your time. This is Micah's story. And at its core, it's about a mother and son's relationship and the day it would change forever. When I was 20, I was an undergrad in college, and I was home for what we call snow days, which is a break that we were given in early February of every year because I, I went to school in a mountain town. And so it was a break literally to go like skiing or snowboarding. So I came home from Colorado to DC. I went out with some friends. They were gay, but I was not out at this point. I knew at that point, I knew that I at least liked boys in addition to women. So you're like discovering, right? Like, you know, and like having conversations with yourself. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I was okay. discovering very often. I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I went out with some friends. I went to a bar. I met a guy at a bar in DC. This guy that I met at the bar lived in Baltimore and we decided to like, he was like, oh, I think you're really dope. I was like, I think you're really dope too. So the next day we, we planned to go out on a date. So we went on a date that following evening. It was like a like a, a day date, if you will, or like a day long date. So it was like a great time. And I was so young and just so happy to even be out with a boy, I think, and just like, and to like a boy and to be liked by him. Um, he was older than I was. So I was 20s, probably about like, maybe like 28, something like that. So not like crazy, you know what I mean? Like that crazy age difference. But I would say that a 20 year old and a 28 year old are in very different places. So even though it's not a very large amount of time between the two of our ages, if you will, or a large, large number of years. So he took me to like a museum and then we went to the park and then we went to dinner and a movie. And then we went to his house and we just like, hung out and just talked like we weren't intimate at all which I loved um it was very much so like I like you and like I think that I want to get to know you more than I want to like be intimate with you which was something that I was really appreciative of at that time so I had a great time um I also am very rarely pursued in that way and he pursued me in a way that I really enjoyed and then in Baltimore and after the date, I went to his house and I decided to stay the night at his house. Well, I was home visiting. No one really knew where I was, like, and why I was staying out overnight. So I couldn't tell my friends or family because my family knows all of my friends that are like straight and stuff like that. So they would already have been able to say, oh, okay, we know what's going on and we know whose house you're at or that kind of thing. So I was kind of like secretly, if you will, going out with this guy. So 
I go to his house, we're hanging out. It's probably like 11, 11.30, something like that. It's pretty late at night. And my mom calls me. And at this time I was so like deathly afraid of her finding out that I was, that I was gay or that I was hanging out with like gay people. So I like wouldn't answer the phone. So I didn't answer the phone. And then I think maybe like a few minutes later, like my sister called me and then I knew they were living together. And I was like, oh, they're probably together and they're probably wondering where I am. And so now I've begun to get really, really anxious because I'm thinking, okay, they're probably gonna be, they're wondering where I am. And I know that I can't, or am not going to tell them the truth. So they continue to call and to text. And I think this is before group texting was even a thing. Like, so I think that when they were texting me, it was like individual text messages, even though they were very likely together while texting me. So they, my mom would text and she would be like, where are you? And then my sister would text and she'd be like, pick up the phone. And then my mom would text and she'd be like, I'm really worried. And then my sister would text and she'd be like, just answer the phone, like whatever, wherever it is, like what's going on? Like we're really worried about you. And I have like a history of anxiety related behavior where when I'm feeling super anxious, I don't fight or flight, I freeze. And so I didn't do anything. So I, I just put my phone down, turned it over and acted like nobody, like nobody was calling me, nobody was texting me. Stayed the night in Baltimore with this boy. Woke up in the morning, I think I had a total of like 50 missed calls from my mother and my sister. And I'm like, okay, well, all right, Micah, like, what are you going to do? It was, a, it was a weekday, actually. I think it was a weekday. I think earlier I said it was like a Saturday. It couldn't have been because when I got to my mom's house that morning, both my mother and my dad were both at work. I'm making a lot of noises over here, but obviously uh, I'm, I'm like, mm, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you, so they're calling you up to 50 times. Is the guy at all aware that you're getting this amount of calls and that you're feeling a lot of anxiety? He, if he's aware, it's only because I didn't hide it well enough. So I had, my phone was on silent or whatever, kind of non-audible mode it needed to be on. There was no, if it was, a light that was flashing when it rang, I turned it upside down, face down so that he couldn't see the light or hear the phone ringing. I didn't mention my family. I, I think I even may have told him that I was out because I was so excited for the date that I didn't want to be like precluded from being able to go out with him by, by saying, oh, sorry, I'm not out yet. So yeah, he did not know. Okay. So you spend a night again, the next day, so my mother, I'm staying at my mom's house and she lives in Waldorf. And for those who don't know, like Baltimore, Maryland and Waldorf, Maryland are a significant difference. Like they're far apart from one another. And so I have to now drive from Baltimore to Waldorf knowing that once I walk through that door, I can't leave it alone anymore. Like in the, it is just, where I was last night right now, but I think I also was having a reckoning like mentally with myself. And I was like, okay, Micah, you've done enough hiding for enough time 
And at this point, can you imagine how much easier it would be to just stop? Like to just, to just like let yourself put that weight down. And also what a gift it's gonna be for the people who love you to see who you really are. So I made that decision like firmly in the car in the drive from Baltimore to Waldorf, which is probably like an hour and a half or so. So I'm like, but I'm, I'm also obviously very, very, very anxious about it as well. Even though I've made the decision that this is what I'm gonna do, I'm still having like major like anxiety like in my chest regarding it. So I pull up, I get out the car, I go in the house and my sister is sitting. So when you enter my mom's house, my sister is sitting at the island in the kitchen. And she was like, uh, hello. And I was like, hi. She was like, she was, was like looking at me like, are you gonna explain yourself? Like, what's going on with you? Like, where have you been? And so she asked me those questions, like, where have you been? And I was like, um, I'm just gonna sit down for a second. So I sat down next to her. And I was like, I am just gonna tell you flat out, I was on a date last night, like, and I stayed over. I was in Baltimore and I was with a boy and I'm gay. And my sister was like, oh my God, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. And again, for those who don't know, like I, I would say that people have like suspected that I was gay for quite some time. So for me to be gay was not an absolute shock, but it was shocking because I'd only dated women until that time. So it, it at least looked on the outside like I was at, at a minimum trying to at least be um, heterosexual. So yeah, I told her that I was gay and that one of the first things she said that I will never forget and she was like, well, if you want me to keep your secret, I will. And she was like, I won't tell mommy, I won't tell daddy, I won't tell anybody in our family. So if you want it to just be a secret, then it can just be our secret. And I was like, I, I really appreciate that, but I don't think I can do secrets at all anymore. Like, I've, this is, this has to be it. Like, I can't, I can't, I want off this ride. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm tired of, of all of the labor and the secrets and the changing my clothes at my other friend's house if I was going out to like a gay bar or something like that. Like just, it was way too much work. And so I was like, I know, like I'm gonna come out, I'm gonna tell mommy and daddy tonight. And I was like, and that's gonna have to be that. And she was like, oh my God, like, what are you gonna do? Like, like where are you gonna live? Because we already knew that my dad primarily was not gonna be accepting of me being gay, especially not me being gay and, and being like very decisive about it and saying, oh yes, like this is it and this is the life that I am choosing to live. So my parents got home like later on in the day and I'm, I don't recall what the conversation was during the day because I'm sure that my mom was still wondering like, are you okay, where were you, that kind of a thing. But I have like no recollection of that. So I think maybe the trauma of it all is just like <laughs> hiding that from me, but my mom got home and so I was like, I have something to tell you. And she was like, okay. And I was like, I am gay. And I just came right out with it. And she like looked at me and she started crying. And then she started like weeping. And I was like standing there and it was the most, I've never felt more awkward in front of my mother because 
it was like, it was like a truth that was being told to her that, she, that I think she obviously already knew, but I think that it was also really personally hurtful for her and to her because I have a mom that wants you to do what she wants you to do, not necessarily what you want to do. And also I have a mom that thinks she knows best for you, maybe even more than what you know for yourself. And I'll never forget when the first thing she said after that, she was like, we are never going to be the same again. And when she said that, then I started crying because I've always been close to my mom, but her saying that felt like, oh, our relationship is forever tainted now, or it's not going to be what it was anymore. And I've always been a, a big mama's boy. I've always loved her dearly. And so I was like heartbroken about that too, because I felt like, well, in living my truth, I'm, I'm not losing my mother, but she, one of the first things she acknowledged was that, oh, this is now different. Like we're not going to be the same ever again. And so she like cried some more and she was like, well, like, are you going to tell your dad? And I was like, yeah, I'll tell him when he gets home. And she was like, okay. So she's went in her room and I went in my room and my dad came home and he comes upstairs because she'd already told him, I guess, that Mike needs to talk to you. And he came to our room and he's like, what's up? Because he hadn't even known that I was like gone overnight and that it, there was a problem. And he's like, what's going on? And I was like, um... I don't really know like what to tell you because there's a whole lot that I could say, but I just think it's easier if I just like direct, but I'm gay. And he was like, what am I at? And I was like, well, it's not really something that I think, like it's, it's something that I've like struggled with for a long time, but it's something that I really like know to be true about myself now. And he was like, well, no son of mine is, is gay. So like, I don't know what, you, what you're talking about or what you think this is, like, or what you might be going through. Like maybe you've heard something in school or you have been talking to people about like experimenting, but like you, you can't be gay. And I was like, I, I hate, but I, I, was like, I am. Like, I'm trying to like, let you know that this is, this is who I am. And he was like, well, let's go for a ride. And I was like, okay. And so, I get in the car, we get in the car, and we drive. I don't remember where we were driving to. I think it was literally just to get out of the house. And we're talking about it, and he's like, do you know how, how much it's gonna hurt your mother? Like, do you know how badly this is going to affect her? And I was just like, kind of stuck, because I'm like, uh, I'm being made to feel guilty about who I am because of how somebody else is going to react to it. So I was just like silent for a lot of the time because I couldn't like reconcile in that moment, like how to make it make sense to him that this was not about anybody but me. Like, and he quoted the Bible to me and told me that I would be like the prodigal son, that I would come back one day because he also told me in that conversation in the car that I couldn't live there. And he's like, well, if you are going to be gay, like, you can't live in my house. And I was like, um, okay. So he was like, so either, he's like, either you're not gay and you can live here or you're gay and you can't live here. And I was like, well, I have to find a place to go. And he was like, okay. And that was it. Like, we got back home. I got out of the house. I got out of the car. I went to my room. I started packing my clothes. My mom came in. I guess my dad and her talked about it. And he let her know that, oh, 
Mike, I can't live here. And she was like, oh, I called Nana, her mother, my grandmother. And she was like, and Nana says you can live with her. And I was like, okay. And the what happened the rest of that night, I can't even recall. Because I think that the trauma of literally having to, like, I, I guess I was kicked out, even though I would never call it that, because that's, that just seems so harsh, but it really was what it was. And I think that I sometimes struggle with ever personifying my parents as like mean or insensitive to me or that kind of a thing. But that was a very like unloving kind of thing to do to a 20 year old. So I moved out. Um, I moved out of my parents' house that night. I packed all my clothes in the car and I drove to my grandmother's house. And she was like, just so you know, like I do not approve of it, but I love you. And so you can stay here as long as you need. And that was that. So I ended up living with her for probably about two years after that. Um, and then until I finally moved out on my own, but that was the initial coming out that I did. And that was around Valentine's Day in February of, if I was 20, that was February of 2010, I believe. What do you wish that they would have said to you? I don't know that I've ever thought about that. Like what I wish they would. Uh, I wish they would have said. Okay. Like. I wish that, I mean, I can wish for a whole lot now off the top of my head thinking about like, I wish they would have said, okay, we accept it. We love you whatever support you might need, we're here for that and here for you in that way. We love you no matter what. Yeah, I, I wish that my mother specifically would have fought for me because my dad, although I call him my dad, is actually my stepdad. And so I felt like I, like, like my mother should have been in that moment, a mother before she was a wife in letting him kick me out because I don't think that she would have kicked me out. So what's the relationship now between you and your father? So my father and I, my mom and my dad got a divorce when I was like maybe 24. 24, 25. I've not really spoken to him at all since then. It's almost like he didn't raise me at all. So that relationship is largely non-existent. He'll text me on like holidays and birthdays and that kind of a thing. And I have many thoughts surrounding how I feel about that, but <laughs> that's another conversation. Uh, my mom, I always say that she was absolutely correct when she said that we'll never be the same because we've not been the same since, because now we are much, much closer. And I'm able to speak to her candidly about like who I like and what's going on with my dating life. And that's not to say that I call her like, oh, I like this boy, let me tell you all about him. But I, I can, if I wanted to speak about like dating to her and I don't feel like it's a touchy subject or, anything of that nature. Um, she actually 
I think this was intentional, but she hasn't said it. Um, I think that she like silently affirmed me very recently. So I live in LA. My mom still lives in Waldorf, Maryland. And she sent me a care package, like maybe three weeks or a month ago. So before she sent it, she said, I'm sending you something. Before you get it, I want you to call me and FaceTime me so we can I can see you open it, open everything. I was like, oh, okay, sure. Like, I love receiving, like, packages. I think they're the most, like, nicest thing you can do for somebody who lives far away. So, I get the package. I'll, I'll, start, I'll start opening it. I'm like, oh, this is cute. She included, like, toys for my dog, that kind of a thing. All, like, just all fun, random stuff. One of the shirts in the box was a black crop top that has Los Angeles written across the top. And the year in like an old lettering style, 89, and a shield behind it. I was born in 1989. And she goes, oh, I got that for you because it has your birth year on it. And it has LA on it and you love LA so much. I thought that you would think it was really cute. And it was a crop top. And I was just like, I think this is very cute. And I didn't, I couldn't even have the, I didn't have the words at that moment to be like, I can't believe you, you sent me something like this. But for me, that was such a silent affirmation of I accept who you are because my mother a few years ago would have never done that. Like she would have never sent me something, like, she would never sent her son a, a crop top. And then she, she would have never been so intentional about it to say, oh, this has the city that you currently live in and the year that you were born on it. And it's almost summertime. I know you've been in the gym lately. So I know you're working on your body. You're probably going to have a great time. So when you're out and you're about with your friends and you can put that on. And I was like, when I put it on, I will take a picture and I would think of you. And so it was just like such a gift that I don't think I really have fully taken time to consider because it's so rare that I think we are given permission to be like our full in a way that is not just tolerated but accepted by the people that matter to us the most and there aren't many opinions that I care about a lot outside of like my mother like so to have her say that essentially to me in that way it's really a big deal to me What's up, everybody, and welcome to The After Show. You just heard the beautiful words, um, and just, oh, mm. I, don't e- I don't even know the word right now, but I'm speechless after hearing Micah's story. Yes. Um, the weight of it all. Mm-hmm. The weight mm-hmm. of it all. Um, How's that sitting with you right now? It's sitting, uh, it's sitting, like, I think interviewing these folks has been interesting because for some of them, they were complete strangers, right? And then there were some folks who I had, like, known Mm -hmm. um, for a long time, and then there are some folks who I 
thought that I knew or who I had like experienced briefly. Mm -hmm. And like Michael was one of those folks who I had experienced very briefly when I lived in DC. And so when I saw his name on the guest list, I said, Oh, whoa, like Mm -hmm. reconnect. And then to hear like his story, I'm, I'm, I'm just like, wow. Right. Like, and so I heard a lot of my fears, right. And Mm -hmm. trauma and like, 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 like the story was very, um, unfortunately familiar right um and and like my story but then like when we think about a lot of uh black queer kids stories um Mm -hmm. as they are like sort of coming of age um and and so one thing that just like really stood out to me was the traditional black family structure and their beliefs about um queerness and what it means to be gay yeah. And I think that this was different than Danelle's story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there were some similarities. What do you think about the traditional family structure that kind of was illuminated from Micah's words? Yeah, you know, I think that a lot of times it's super easy to focus on the ways that our families, specifically in Black families, you know, can inflict harm and trauma. Right. And so as we as we talk, as we're in this conversation, obviously, I want to lean into some of the ways that I think that trauma happened. But then I also think that there was some really beautiful ways that love showed up and was redeeming, too. Right. Um, I think I, I very much I saw his, you know, his point where he talked about, like, you know, mom knows best. Right. That, that there's this like there's this respect that we have for mom in the house and like who she is and what her thoughts and her feelings are and her morals. Right. That the house follows mom's footprint. Um, But then there was also these moments when he talked about, you know, his dad and when he when he talked about, you know, telling, you know, talking about his truth and that, you know, he said that no son of mine is gay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He also then went on to say that you can't be gay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think for me, like, as I listened to that story, I was I was I was crying um, because I think that, you know, I think and sometimes people can do those things and how they act. But I think it's also another thing to actually tell someone that like his dad literally told him who he was. And after he told him who he was. Ooh. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I think hearing that, like you are literally, do you know how much courage it takes to muster up the strength to be like, yo, I'm going to tell the people. Cause you know, he talked to his sister. It was like, I'm going to do this. And she was like, yo, <laughs> slow down. You like, sure about I, that? Are you sure? I can. I love you. I'll keep this secret. He's like, no, I got to get this out. So then in doing that, it's like you take all that courage, risking knowing that you might not have anywhere to live. You might not have a family. And then this person's like, no, this is who you are. Mm -hmm. And so I think that 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 sat with me. I think what sat with me was his mother telling him, which obviously at the end, we see it redeeming that like their relationship isn't going to be the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that for a lot of black boys, especially um, maybe queer black boys, like we grew up like really attached to our moms. And so to think that mm-hmm. like this person who's loved and nurtured you may not view you or love you the same is scary. So you're a parent, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. what do parents need to know then? Yeah. I mean, the first question that I wrote down when I was listening to his interview was why did he feel like he couldn't say it? And so I think about as a dad, you know, a dad to a seven-year-old and 11-year-old, my 11-year-old is very much a tween right now. You know, he, you know, I just had the the moment where he, you know, had a crush on a girl and 
I was like, oh, okay. And like, you know, there's feelings. And when he talks about her, he lights up and all these things. Um, but prior to that, it's like, well, I don't know if, if my child is going to, what gender person my child is going to like. So like, what, what ways is my house safe? What ways is my house affirming? What ways can you look around my house and see that regardless of who you are, right? That there's love there. And so I think one of the first things as a parent to do is like, A, to do your own internal work, right? To think about what disrupts your spirit when you think about someone loving someone of the same gender, right? Because you got to, before we can do the work and show up as parents, I think the best work is done internally. So it's like when you see a queer person, when you see a trans person standing in the fullness of their power, what part of your spirit is disrupted? First question. Yes, yes. And then once... Once you you lean into that narrative, right? Because that means that you're going to have to start doing your own unpacking. Then I think you have to then start trying to figure out, okay, and what do I do with this? And that's where the education comes in. That might come in in the sense of like, I'm going to start watching some TV shows. I'm going to start YouTubing experiences of actual queer people. Reading right? some books. I'm going to read some books, right? That are, you know, and I think we'll, you know, provide resources for people. But it's it's trying to not like retell yourself what you think you know, but opening yourself up to say like, I don't know, and I'm open to learning. Mm-hmm. And then also probably most importantly, because you can do all the reading, This we know this about racism, right? You can do all the reading, but until you immerse yourself humbly in a community, right? Mm-hmm. Which might mean that you're going to start following accounts on Instagram that you don't follow. It might mean that you're going to start maybe once a month, you're going to start going to an inclusive church to see what that looks like for people who are queer to have have power, mm-hmm. right, at the table. Mm-hmm. It might mean that that coworker who, you know, um, who's talking about their their partner, you know, like you you ask more and you want to go out with them and, you know, like interact with them in the real way, in a real way. But it's like, those are the first things that you do to, so that you can work through your own shit. Mm. That by the time it comes to your child, who, as we heard in this story, he already knew, right? He's sitting in his bedroom already knowing. Mm. It's like, the environment is also safe. Mm-hmm. But for me as a dad, I think the two things that I'm always, you know, telling my kids is like, yo, family can look in any configuration. You have any configuration of people who love each other. And family is a group of people who love each other. And so I think if Micah knew as a young child that family is a group of people who love each other and that people can love whoever they want, I think that that would have made his childhood less tense. It would have made it so that, you know, when he asked the question, when he said, can you just stop hiding? Right? Can you just stop hiding? I've done enough hiding already. Like, imagine what a childhood from Micah would look like if he didn't feel like he had to hide every time that he sat at the dinner table, every time that he talked to his dad. Right. It's it's the same idea of the mask, right? It's just right. like I don't want to wear the mask anymore. Um, this is this happened. You know, Micah is you know my age, um, and this is not an issue that really is seem seeming to go away. Um, according to the Trevor project, um, more than 80% of LGBTQ youth stated that COVID-19 made their living situation more stressful mm-hmm. and only one in three LGBTQ youth found their home to be LGBTQ affirming. Yeah. Um, and so th- this is an, this is an issue, right? That is ongoing. Um, which is why the power of community is really key. Thank God he had a grandmother yeah. uh, 
who still had to do some work herself, right? So who who still had that. to do some work, right? <laughs> yeah, who still had to do some work, but but I would say and still offered him yes. like the like this like the space, right? Like just just a theme of space, right? Like is 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 it's like you don't even have the ability, right, in his mother and father's home, like to take up space here, right? And mm-hmm. and, and grandmother says, "Look, I'm." Like, I got, I'll make space for you, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what she said. And I think that that is a lesson, right, for all of us to think about the fact that we are all works in progress, right? We're all working to, we, I would all hope that we're all working to be a better version of ourselves. But what I loved about the grandma was that she offered him space, but there was still work on her side to be done. And so I think when we think about what does it mean to have a firm, an affirming home, what does it mean to have an affirming home? And so I, some of the things that I want to leave like people thinking about is yeah. like, you know, can your child speak openly about their sexual orientation and their gender identity with you? Right. Um, can they participate in the family activities authentically? Can they can they invite their friend or their partner to your home and to events? Can they, you know, can they tell you about the community that they're building without judgment and i'm gonna build on that because there are a lot of educators who listen to this podcast Mm -hmm. what does it mean to have a classroom to have a school to have a district that is also affirming to lgbtq youth right Mm -hmm. like can your students Mm -hmm. talk about the experiences that that they are having as they are coming of age Mm -hmm. can they talk about crushes celebrity crushes Mm -hmm. that they have that are you know, of the same sex, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, can they talk about some of the challenges that they're facing at home, right? Can they confide in you as an adult, right? Like, can they confide in other students publicly, mm-hmm. right, ab- about the issues that they are facing? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know there are a lot of teachers who listen to this podcast. And, and so I also just want to offer that challenge and that uh, push to them as well. Yeah. And, and to, there's two more things I want to I want to throw out here on the table um, because I think it's important um, both for educate anybody who's around kids right at this point anybody who's around kids regardless of what that looks like but I think another thing is that when someone tells you that they are queer or they're same gender loving or or gay is like once you know that even if you don't know anything else I think it's important that you require other people family members extended family members other teachers students to respect them. So in this classroom, you know, so I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a school administrator and I've, I've walked through hallways and I've heard kids throw slurs out or, you know, bro, that's gay. And so at every time that happens, I always have a social moment, right? Because I'm always like, yo, you know that like somebody being gay, like that's not a character deficit, right? Like, are, are you aware of that? Do you know what that means? So it's always like stopping the conversation because for me, it's like, yo, that particular kid may not feel seen. They may not have the wherewithal or the you know, the confidence to stand up for themselves. And so a part of me being an adult who's been on this journey, right, is to use my power to stand up on your behalf so you don't have to. And that tells that kid that they're safe, but other kids who are in the room who are, who are you know, feeling some kind of way, right, trying to figure out themselves, they know that there's safety there. Absolutely. And the last one, and, and the last one and, and it really goes with this idea of a future, right? Like, are you affirming that this child can really have a happy future being queer. And I think that's something that we don't talk about because as he was telling this story, it was like all about the adults. Like you're going to hurt your mom and this person's going to be upset. God's going to be upset. 
But it's like, if this is the future that this person wants, then why wouldn't we just affirm that like, yo, what you want for yourself, you're going to have that now and you're going to have that later too. And it extends beyond survival, right? Yeah. Like right. it extends far beyond surviving the hatred, the heteronormativity, the, you know, death, right? Yeah. Like, like yes. it is like, you're like you're not just gonna survive this, but 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 you're gonna thrive. You're gonna get married, right? Like this whole yeah. story started off with Micah feeling seen and loved by someone that he liked, right? Like mm-hmm. and yes. and feeling so like seen and loved that he wanted to spend a night with that person. And like mm-hmm. I know what this is gonna look like at at home. I'm not answering the phone, right? right. But I'm gonna like see what this is like. I'm gonna yes. spend a, spend a night in Baltimore. What's up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like. And, 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 and so Micah saw that for himself, right? Mm-hmm. And so I want to just leave the audience with, you know, with the challenge of how are you helping queer youth and queer people generally see that they can thrive mm-hmm. to the end of their days, not just survive? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you all so much for listening, Micah. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Did you? I don't know how this is going to get in there. However, okay. one thing that he said, I'm going to just say this, but one thing that he said was that when he stopped hiding, he realized that he was actually offering them a gift to see Ooh. who he was. Mm-hmm. I just feel like that, that has to be said. Like, yes, yes. He yes. said that like after I stopped hiding, that there's a gift for people to see me for who I really am. And so all this work goes on to like queer people are always kind of helping straight folks do the work so that yes. we can they can be seen and felt and heard. But it's like, do you realize the gift that you're getting? Yes. By having a person show up in front of you who is fully themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are you doing to encourage that work? What are you doing to support and nurture that work so that it can keep happening? It's the biggest compliment and it's the biggest gift. Yeah. Thank you all so much for listening to the Common Sense Podcast. This episode was produced and written by Patrick Harris. If you want to know more information or continue the conversation, please hit me up on social media at President Pat. See you next time.